the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. The Athletic is right now breaking down the most interesting players for the NFL season, upcoming NFL season. One week away, folks, not even if we're talking, counting Thursday. The rundown to the Major League Baseball postseason. It's here. We're going to talk about it a little bit at the back end of this show. And of course, continuing NBA and NHL off seasons as those leagues push towards their next upcoming regular season. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription today. Happy Sunday. Happy Labor Day weekend. My name is Mike Gennetti. Just going to do a real quick show today, giving the uh, rest of the guys the weekend off, of course, here. But I, uh, I wanted to speak a little bit to some Notable stories surrounding the sports world. Like I said, back end of the show, I'm going to run through some MLB win percentage slash payroll situations because I know it's been said, but I don't think it's being said enough just how unorthodox things are right now in Major League Baseball. There are teams spending money. There are teams winning for spending money and certainly vice versa as we know that story. I'll touch on some of the specifics the back end of this show. Toss up here in the front end. It's kind of making the rounds. I knew it was about to come because... Boy, when when the Pittsburgh Steelers started to free up some money last week, I thought for sure there was going to be an immediate announcement for TJ Watt's extension. It's not here. We're now at a point where Jeremy Fowler from ESPN is basically saying there's a 48-hour window here. You know, if this thing doesn't get done by Tuesday, the Steelers won't allow TJ Watt to play week one against a huge matchup with the Bills. So <laughs> huge ramifications in the AFC if TJ Watt has to sit out week one because he's holding in, he's not practicing. The Steelers won't allow him to play if he doesn't practice midweek, and he wants a new contract. It's something that should be a no-brainer for most teams. So let's dive into why there's there's a a stall right now, why there's a pause between TJ Watt and the Steelers. I've, I've brought it up before on this show, but for those of you who haven't heard it or maybe don't quite understand it, the Steelers have a very vanilla structure with how they do their contracts, all of their contracts, including quarterbacks. And that's part of the conversation I want to have here is, how do we get TJ Watt the average per year, the guarantees, the cash flow that he deserves, and he would get anywhere else in the league, almost anywhere else in the league, but also fit it into this weird Pittsburgh Steelers contract structure system, which is they don't guarantee base salaries. They don't do guarantee mechanisms, right? They're not going to roll in future guarantee bonuses into this year's guarantee. It's basically... What what you get this year is what you get this year, which means for the most part, their superstars have relied on big signing bonuses because that is a guarantee that the Steelers can't take from them. It's an upfront payment. Maybe that maybe the cash flow of that signing bonus is spread out over two or three payments so that the accounting's a little easier for Pittsburgh. But in terms of upfront guarantee at signing, the Steelers haven't budged. They'll toss in some injury guarantees on Ben's base salaries just to kind of satisfy that side of it, especially at his age. But Ben Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have two, three years out guaranteed on any of his contracts. And in fact, just kind of rolling through Ben's deals, his his rookie contract, obviously pre-rookie uh, wage scale, had almost nothing guaranteed, right? Had a $600,000 signing bonus and a year one roster bonus. So even way back in 2004, Pittsburgh had him on this. Now, there was an option bonus built into that rookie contract in 2005. So there was a bit of a double bonus situation. They really don't do that 
sense. That's not their structure. That's what the Bills just did with Josh Allen. That's what a lot of teams do to suffice having to give away one big signing bonus early on. They can spread things out over a six-year plan by having two bonuses, one built into the first year, one built into the second year, each of those prorated over five years max. So it helps a little bit to balloon two gigantic bonus payments staggered over two years, but Pittsburgh's not even doing that. With their, with their superstar contracts. Antonio Brown got about $16 million guaranteed up front. That was it, his bonus. The same goes for Cam Hayward. The same goes for, for Tewitt. It, it, it's, just a, it's just how they do business. The players and agents know it. If they want to stick around for the long term with this team, they have to fit into this model. So that's where TJ Watt is right now because TJ Watt, I think, is in a situation that, well, I guess Antonio Brown was slightly in this scenario where... It is, it is far and away clear as day that T.J. Watt is the best at his position right now. Antonio Brown, I guess, could have made a case at the time of his extension that he was the best wide receiver in football, the most dynamic, the most productive. It was hard to argue that. And, and Ben was at least in the conversation for a few of these extensions. I mean, he was, you know, 2015, maybe. I mean, he, he sort of maxed out in 2008. I would say absolutely when he scored his almost 15 million a year back in 2008 with a you know a 25 and change signing bonus that was really good money for a 26 year old Ben Roethlisberger that was the rookie extension right there so there's been times where Pittsburgh's had to flex a little bit because they have the best player at a at a position across the league that's where we are right now and it's very difficult because here's the numbers for an edge rusher right now and it's sort of going off Joey Bosa here So Joey Bosa does a, a five-year new money, new year extension. Ripping up his fifth-year option, adding five years, so a six-year total contract. That's where we are with TJ Watt right now. He's about to play out his fifth-year option. So certainly a fifth-year option plus a franchise tag is certainly in the cards. And if we're just talking straight cash with that, we're talking about $29 million total combined there for those two payments. So... That's a non-starting point for me with TJ Watt because here's the numbers with Joey Bosa's deal. $27 million a year. If we start to break out cash flow, he gets $43 million year one, almost fifty-seven through two, and, and over $78 million through three. Those to me are the numbers I like to look at with especially non-quarterback contracts. Now, it's not often that these defensive players are one-upping each other, next man up. Bosa did it early. And I think the Chargers were smart to do it. Why? Because they don't have a lot of contracts to feed right now. They got a good value out of Austin Eckler. They've had continual value off Keenan Allen, who they've been able to sort of bridge contract ahead. Good punt, good pay, but never a max, max long-term deal for Keenan. They haven't paid Mike Williams. They didn't pay Hunter Henry. They, they've been using free agent contracts for their offensive line. So in terms of keeping their own, Joey Bosa's contract was really the only major mouth they had to feed. We're not in that boat with Pittsburgh. Okay, we're not. They just had to redo Cam Hayward. They did have to redo Ben a little bit here. They will have to figure out a couple of these wide receivers at some point, although they just, they've just they chosen not to pay him in the past since Antonio. And Minka Fitzpatrick is the next big one. And that's probably another reason TJ Watt isn't done yet because they have to fit two into one here. Minka's going to have to get done in the next 12 to 18 months. And they gave up the farm to get him in. You're not going to let that guy walk. You may franchise tag him. He's going to hold out. <laughs> okay, I can tell you right now. So 
what they're probably understanding is getting TJ Watt done, albeit it's going to be the larger of the two contracts, is probably easier for them and probably better business for them right now. Let's get the 27-year-old edge rusher done. Let's make sure we work out a way to structure it so that it's three years. We brought him up against the 30-year-old age mark, which is you know good business for Pittsburgh. We just got to make him happy in our structure. So here's Bosa's numbers again. $27 million a year, 43-year one, 57 through two, and 78 through three. I've spent the majority of my morning here with a couple of cups of coffee and a spreadsheet trying to kind of bang this one out. How can this squeeze? How can those kind of numbers squeeze into Joe, into the Pittsburgh Steelers non-guaranteed salary model? And the answer is I couldn't do it. I couldn't appease the traditional structure where there's gradual increase in cash flow where I could grab a couple of roster bonuses from down the contract and bring them up. That's just, that's just not how Pittsburgh is going to operate. I don't believe they're going to flex their muscles for TJ Watt if they haven't done it for Ben, if they haven't done it for their more notable players in the past. I, I, I would have no problem if they did do it with TJ Watt. I'm just not assuming that they're going to do so. So here's where I landed. The largest non-quarterback signing bonus is $40 million, Aaron Donald. That's where we have to start living with this with this contract negotiation because it is really generally the only guarantee at signing that these Pittsburgh Steelers players get. So how can we how can we up this ante in that regard to kind of compromise this process? Because we have to make TJ Watt happy. We have to get him in the negotiating room first, right? Before we before the Steelers drop all this, well, the salaries don't matter to us. Any kind of future bonuses, they're gonna lay out there until you until they vest in the year of. You know, that's not something the agent and player want to be hearing right now if you're a top superstar in this league. I think $50 million is the right number. I think they have to drop a $50 million bonus on him, $10 million more than Aaron Donald. I can't tell you that TJ Watt is more valuable than Aaron Donald. I mean, Donald's been as valuable a player in this league as any other player there is. But I'm telling you right now, two years later after this contract, $50 million at least gets him in the room, right? So that means $10 million per year in cap proration. It means the dead cap's going to pile up, but we're not done yet because we've only got $50 million guaranteed in this contract. And in, in terms of Steelers money, that's a hell of a lot of money. Many of these guys don't get that. Ben never got that. Okay. Ben's last contract, his two for 68 extension, only guaranteed him 37 and a half at signing. His contract before that, 31 million at signing. We're talking double the amount of signing bonus, basically, that Ben Roethlisberger has ever seen for TJ Watt here. But if you want to keep this guy in this climate right now, you're either going to, going to hope he comes back and plays for you and, and doesn't hold out through the season and then also accept a franchise tag next year because that's the risk you're running by not doing this deal. So I do think Pittsburgh has to up their ante quite a bit to get him in the room, to get him thinking about this. I think 50 is a nice round number to do that. Now it's a huge number. It's way ahead of anywhere else. So it's, it's a little bit reckless in terms of business finances for Pittsburgh, but I think this is the right kind of player to do that with from a name standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a positional standpoint. So we start with 50. We're going to bring our base salaries basically down to minimums over the next two seasons because A, they can to sort of mitigate the cap, and B, what does TJ Watt care? They're not guaranteed anyway. They're basically just biannual paycheck or biweekly paychecks. It doesn't matter to him. What matters to TJ Watt and his agent is the roster bonus because it's an earlier payment, right? We can get that in March. 
It'll vest in March and we can go on from there. So I've also thrown a $5 million roster bonus into this season. So it's basically 55, 57 million and change this season, which blows Joey Bosa's deal out of the water. But that's where I started to think about how this could work is if I front load this thing enough, I don't destroy my cap numbers in doing so too badly. I'm adding about 6 million in cap to TJ Watt's current fifth year option. So about 16 and a half million this year on the cap, which they can afford. But front loading about 57 million cash this year. I think that's the right approach with Watt. It's not about the long term. It's not about six years with him. We know how much fluff gets built into the back of these contracts just to satisfy some AAVs and, and to handle some dead cap situations near the end of a contract. TJ Watt's thinking three years here because he'll be 29 in three years, turning 30. It's a really nice time for him to re-up either here or somebody else if he can get himself out of here in a bad situation, and he would be able to. But that's that's the approach here. How can we how can we make the next three years attractive, but in a non-traditional sense? So maybe it's more front-loaded, and then and then gradually decreases in terms of power as we head towards 2024. Keeping in mind, 2023 should be a big-time salary cap boost for the NFL as well. So 57, almost 57 this year in cash. Next year, I've got a low base salary, but I've got a 20 million dollar roster bonus built into this thing. Okay. Now that's crazy. Pittsburgh doesn't do that either. Generally, they have small, minute roster bonuses that vest about the third league day of the year. But I have purpose with that $20 million. That $20 million is essentially an option bonus for us here. The, there, there will be language built in that, that it will restructure, you know, the second league day of the contract uh, of the league year next year. So that becomes signing bonus number two. So essentially what I'm offering here is $70 million of bonus. 75 million, excuse me, of bonus to TJ Watt, which becomes the practical guarantee on this contract. So I'm proposing a four-year, $118 million extension that runs through 2025 with 75 million practically guaranteed and 55 million guaranteed upfront this season. The $50 million signing bonus, a $5 million roster bonus that'll kick in two, three days after this thing is signed. It's Big time money up front. It's $78 million over the next two years of cash. Huge money. But I think Pittsburgh has to go this route to suffice their structure and this player at this position with the, at this age. There's just no getting around it. It's a hell of a lot of cash. I, I, the caps don't worry. I don't worry about. Like I said, 16 and a half this year. They're going to restructure out of next year and turn that into about really something very, very tenable. I mean, you're talking maybe 15, 15 to 19 million next year based on how much they restructure. But they've given themselves flexibility. They've given him good cash flow, not the best, right? Year three cash will be about 93. That doesn't come close to Joey Bosa's, okay? Joey Bosa's is, uh, excuse me, that will supplant Joey Bosa. It's the year four situation where this trails off. But again, I'm not worried about year four for TJ Watt and nor should he. Two years left on this contract, he can start to talk about a new deal. They can start to flex the cap a little bit. He'll be just just fine after three years, 93 million cash, 75 of that practically guaranteed. I think that's the right approach here. I don't think we need to go and break records across the board because Pittsburgh style doesn't allow us to. Where can we get some wiggle room here? If the Pittsburgh Steelers don't want to be this aggressive in cash flow, the other option is 
okay, we keep our low, smaller roster bonuses. So I said five this year, maybe it's seven and a half next year, maybe it's 10 or 12 in year three. Where he can try to flex now is back to those guaranteed mechanisms. Mahomes got him. Allen's got him. Many of the quarterbacks are getting these, which basically means if there's a $15 million roster bonus in 2023 on the contract, it fully guarantees a year early. So March of 2022. It's not something the Steelers do. They would have to break tradition, break their structure to do it. But if they don't want to pump a ton of cash into the into the first two years of this contract, like I'm proposing here, maybe that's a concession that can be made. All right. We'll, we'll spread things out a little bit more and make it better for us financially, but we'll, we'll allow you to lock in the 2023 roster bonus a year early. We think it's a, it's a good faith move on our part, something we can put cash in hand. That now becomes a practical guarantee in the third year of this contract, something many Steelers don't get. No Steeler gets, actually. That's where the concession can be made here with this player if they want to smooth things out a bit. I don't, I don't think they have to go that route. I think they can look at something I've just pr- projected here which is very heavily structured over the first two years, but with flexibility to move some cap around as needed. I think that's the right approach for Pittsburgh right now because outside of Minka, are they bringing in a rookie quarterback next year, right? Najee Harris is cost-controlled for the next five seasons. All of their wide receivers are cost-controlled at least for a year or two, James Washington notwithstanding. They're nickel and diamond free agent tight ends. They do need to expend some aggressive money on, on, on the offensive line, whether that's draft capital, whether that's free agent capital. So there will be some dollars to feed there. But TJ Watt and Micah Fitzpatrick are the big contracts. They are going to be huge extensions. But I think you take care of this one as properly as possible. And if that means front loading, so be it. And and transitioning out for another, you know, another time after we see how this goes for a couple of weeks, the San Francisco 49ers are a team that likes to front load. They do like to put big bonuses early, especially ro- roster bonuses that can either be restructured or hit the cap at once. And Nick Bosa is going to be the next edge, you know, defensive line edge rusher in this conversation after the after the upcoming season, if he's healthy and if he gets back to Nick Bosa form. So the TJ Watt model that I'm proposing here could become the foundational piece for Nick Bosa in, in about eight months from now, which is a big, big deal because now we're starting to push ourselves towards that 30 million plus year. This contract I'm proposing for J, for TJ Watt is 29 and a half per year in terms of new money contract. So it is right there at the $30 million mark, something I think we're going to see very, very soon. And I think Nick Bosa has a chance to be that player. I'm not sure that because of Pittsburgh structure that Watt can get there. It just doesn't make sense to go higher on the bonuses here, but it's certainly possible. Maybe that is something he's sitting there looking for and... The Steelers are just trying to make it all work. I, I, I got to tell you, this is it's not easy to make major contracts work with their restrictions. I've, I sat here for quite some time this morning really trying to work out the best approach. And, and like I said, this is what I came up with. But if there are demands that he has, if, he, if he's demanding $100 million a year or $100 million guaranteed, it's going to be extremely difficult to get there, okay? Because that's what Bosa has. Bosa has 102 practically guaranteed on that contract. I just don't see a way that Pittsburgh structure can allow for that because of they are vanilla. If it's 2023, your roster bonus will guarantee in March of 2023. Your base salary will guarantee in week one, like any other vested veteran. It's just how they operate. So unless they break tradition completely, it's just not possible to get to 103 million guaranteed with TJ Watt. So we've got to come down to a little bit more reasonable approach with how much upfront money we can smash into the first two years here. 
it's still a hell of a deal. Like I said, four years, 118, 29 and a half per year, new money, new years, 55 guaranteed at signs, 75 practically guaranteed, but 93 million cash over the first three seasons. I think he'd be pretty happy with that. I think he'd have to live with that in Pittsburgh under the structure. And uh, anything more than that is really going to be detrimental to the cap. It really is because you're going to be pushing 30 million a year in 2023, 24 in a situation where you may have to be paying a lot of miles at that point. Right now, you don't have to. So take the cap, take the cash right now up front, get this guy locked in, make him happy and certainly get him on the field week one for the Buffalo Bills, which is the uh, overriding conversation we're trying to finish here. Okay. I, uh, I will be back to do more of these. I, I, I love doing this kind of stuff. I geek out on these numbers and the structures and things like that. And especially when it's, when there's a, a rule book in place like Pittsburgh has Tampa Bay has a similar one though. They kind of flexed a little bit with this championship roster to make it all fit back in. But the, like I said, San Francisco likes the front load, you know, green Bay is very, very rigid with their formula. They, they are basically like Pittsburgh to the point of where it's a year one guarantee. And then we'll see. So I, I enjoy kind of going team by team with some of these extension candidates and trying to make it all fit into one square peg, which is what I did this morning with Watt. So any thoughts on this? If you, uh, if you have your own projections out there, if you've been running some numbers on what TJ Watt should lock in as the next big edge roger, please hit me up at Spotrek on Twitter. I love kind of going back and forth on this stuff. But this is, uh, this is what I spent my morning on, and I'm happy to share it here today. All right, let's switch some gears to baseball real quick and get out of here. Today's episode of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid broker fees, and there's no prepayment penalties if you pay it back early. Whether your client is currently under contract and simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or are looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. That's balancedbridge.com. All right. I promised some baseball. I'm still geeking out on baseball quite a bit. My Mets are uh, interesting. <laughs> plenty of off the field stuff, plenty of, God, the fan stuff. I'm not going to comment on that. Whatever, you know, but they're in the race. They've won six out of seven. They're three. They're three and a half out of the division again. They're they're eyeing up the wild card spot, even though those teams in the NL West are just beating each other up right now. But I'm still watching every day. I hope many of you are too. It's been a neat season with baseball, especially if you're a West Coaster. I mean, there's some good baseball happening out west. Whereas you know the Yankees have floundered a little bit here, and some of those, and certainly Boston has nosedived on the East Coast, but. Let's talk about win percentages, where that where it ranks with payroll, where we're heading, uh, which of these teams could have some serious value at the end of the, at the end of it, like we talk about, you know, quite a bit on Spot Trek. Generally speaking, I like to look in the middle out uh, with all these sports, but that's just not how baseball has been because of the competitive imbalance. Let's call it what it is. You know, you're either the Rays or you're a huge spender. And that, and those are the teams sort of eyeing the, the, the end of the season here. Certainly that's the case for the Dodgers. The Yankees have wild card aspirations here for sure. They're your number two spenders in terms of cash right now. And the Mets are actually third. So both New York teams and, and the one LA team is sitting top three for us right now. And I think a lot of people be surprised with this one. The Houston Astros have the fourth highest cash payroll right now in major league baseball. 
and if, and if you've listened to this show kind of regularly, you know where I stand with what I think the end of the season is going to look like. I think it's going to be the Dodgers and Astros yet again. I know there are good teams in many of these divisions that certainly have a chance to push through, but uh, I'm looking at two top four paid teams right now, getting this thing to the finish line. Let's round out the p- top 10. And there's going to be a couple teams there where you're going to be like, oh, that was a mistake again. Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, Astros, Phillies, Red Sox, Angels, Padres, Cardinals, Giants. There's your top 10. Not an accident. It's not an accident. The Giants are always there. In fact, they're low. They're a little bit lower this year. They did some some fat trimming this offseason. That's why many of us didn't have them projecting to certainly to be, you know, the top win percentage total in the league right now on September 5th. But they're in the mix, as per usual. The Padres pushed hard this offseason. That's why they're a top eight payroll. The Cardinals did much of the same with acquiring Arenado. They're a top nine. And there's your Angels, who they tried like hell to rebuild that pitching staff. They're a 500 team, exactly a 500 team right now with the seventh highest payroll in baseball. They got to figure it out eventually. You know, certainly the Trout injury is a factor. I, I wonder what that team would look like with Trout and Otani healthy and, and Rendon, quite frankly. What does that team look like? What what does their percentage look like in September with if everybody's healthy? Are they, you know, are they a 550 team? Are they a couple games out of the wild spot right now? Are they kind of where the Yankees are right now if they make a couple of nice runs like New York did? I think it's very possible that they actually had something figured out this year and they just couldn't stay healthy in any regard. But maybe good steps forward for those Angels. We need that. Baseball needs that badly, especially with Otani doing what he's doing right now. But everybody else, you know, if you look at the outside of the top 10 payrolls, the Blue Jays are sitting right there. The Braves are sitting right there. You know, the White Sox are 15th. There's your middle out team for me. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Chicago. They are banged up a little bit now in the pitching staff, but they're getting healthier in position players, and it's really starting to round into form. I think that may be your most complete team from wall to wall. And they are spending exactly where I like teams to be spending, which is aggressively but not overly aggressive yet. They're young. They can stay inexpensive. You know, they're pushing that, that 600 win percentage total right now. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. That's, that's one of those teams I look at this time of year and say, all right, that's my bet. If I'm going to put real dollars on a team right now, I'd be putting it on the White Sox, even though I believe the Astros and the Dodgers get this thing to the finish line. That's the value for me right now. And certainly that's been the value payroll in terms of real baseball dollars as well. And then let's, let's talk Rays real quick. 26th right now. I got to tell you, when I when I loaded up the view this morning, you know, I, I I let this thing kind of do its run itself in terms of day to day numbers as I update all these transactions. I was a little surprised that they actually eclipsed the seventy million dollar mark. That hasn't happened in six years, I believe, in terms of Tampa's payroll, cash payroll. So they have they've certainly pushed the gamut a little bit this year, bringing you know some of those kids from Pittsburgh they acquired have grown up into, into arbitration salaries. Certainly acquiring Nelson Cruz added some dollars to that payroll. You know, and, and unfortunately, some of their, their better pitches are sitting on the IL right now and, and, and may return late, but it may be a little bit too late, honestly. So there's to say that they haven't pushed a little bit in terms of Tampa dollars is wrong. I think they have pushed. You know, they were 28th last year when they as runner ups. So they were certainly better value last year. But I think they smell how good they can be. A lot of the p- players in that roster have postseason experience now, extensive experience with the run last year. And Nelson was a really smart veteran ad. Did they add enough in the pitching staff? We'll see. But again, that there's your there's your tied for win percentage to total in baseball right now. Dodgers, Giants, Rays, all tied at the top right now. Couldn't be more different. 
right? Dodgers, $267 million in change. Giants, $161 million in change. And the, and the Rays, $70 million in change. So one of these things is certainly not like the other. But if you think about it from their perspective, I do think Tampa Bay is actually, actually pushed. They've been aggressive this offseason and in season during the deadline. And I think there's a chance they really believe it, that they really believe that they're as good as Houston, as good as Chicago, as good as the Yankees. They've shown that over the season. And they can really do some damage here. And then there's Milwaukee. Okay, Milwaukee's got the second, the fourth, fourth best winning percentage total in baseball. How many of you actually knew that? This is such a quietly good team, and it's built on pitching, which is the right formula in September and October. As you, as we talk about in football, it's defense and running. Right when the weather gets bad, it's pitching, pitching, starting pitching. Can you stretch out a couple of guys? Can you move one of those guys into a long relief role and and sort of play opening closer? At this time of year to, to, to stretch some guys out and get them ready for a long postseason run. Milwaukee is built for that. And if they can be, you know, the sleeping giant that comes in and knocks off that those NLS teams at some point, their payroll is just under $98 million right now. It's incredible value. Incredible what they've done. And they have spent. I mean, they've, they've acquired players. They've been very proactive on the trade market. And they're the 19th highest payroll. So if we're talking about middle out teams that I would bet probably have favorable odds, it'd be the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago White Sox. That's your middle payrolls that I like to, I like to target that have legitimate rosters that could actually do some damage in the postseason. Enough to beat the Dodgers, enough to beat the Astros. I'm not positive, but those are the teams I'd identify right now based on what they've done this year, the, the team construction, how they've acquired it, and how they've been able to manage themselves financially in doing so. I don't think either of those teams feel like they're stretched out financially in any regard. You know, Milwaukee finally got off of the, the Ryan Braun situation after disastrous extensions there. Tampa Bay's never really done that. You know, they moved on from Blake Snell before he, he went north of $10 million. They, they acquired a couple more players this year to fill in some depth roles, and certainly Nelson was a big swing at the, at the deadline. I think they're happy. I think they're comfortable being at $70 million. Certainly they're comfortable being a, you know, a .632 win percentage right now. And their, their win differential is, or excuse me, their run differential is way up there as well. But I'll finish on that note. Run differential is a really interesting stat because it's very simple. It's very simple. And whenever I tweet it, I get a lot of comments back like, who the hell cares? You know, I can find this myself. Well, you're right. It's extremely simple. It's not advanced analytics by any metrics. It's we scored more than you did. And we, on, on an average basis, we scored X, X runs more than we give up on a daily basis. It's extremely simple. It's extremely basic, but it means so much, right? If you're winning one-run games constantly, like my Mets have been doing, first of all, it's, it's frustrating as all hell to watch. Now, you can't avoid it every now and then, but if you are simply one of those teams that can't put a team away, especially when it matters, especially in the clutch down the stretch, that's where this step becomes important. If, your team's, if you're a team that's winning three to four runs per game, on, an, on, a, on a nightly basis, if you're stretching yourself ahead, if you're getting yourself out of save opportunities on a, on a weekly basis, it means you're comfortable. It means you are producing with clutch. You're, you're knocking in runners in scoring position. You're doing all the little things that add up, add up this time of year. So the two teams that have the best run differential in baseball, the Dodgers and the Astros. It's pretty easy. It's pretty simple stuff. The Dodgers are so far ahead, okay, that it's worth discussing. 
as of yesterday, so before yesterday's game, I don't, I don't have it calculated for this morning, but the Dodgers had a plus 212. The Astros were second at plus 175. <laughs> okay. It's 37. The Dodgers are plus 37 on the rest of Major League Baseball. That's how nuts they are. That's how good the Dodgers can be. So, yes, they're going to have their ups and downs. Yes, they have injuries. Kershaw's on his way back. Betts is still trying to find his way. But my goodness, if it all comes back at once, this team pieced together with as much depth as they've been able to have is still a plus 212 in run differential right now. And Houston's plus 175, and they've had their own sort of injuries. Tampa Bay's third, folks, plus 168. They can score runs. They hit home runs. They live and die by it, which is... That's fragile when it comes to postseason, as we saw, because you can go on a, on a cold streak and really kick yourself in the ass. But they score runs. They score runs. They're going to put up four or five runs a day on you when it matters. The Giants are fifth, the fourth, the White Sox are fifth. So that's how it sort of flushes out in terms of how much impactful run scoring the top teams in the league are doing right now. You know, if if you had to put real money on it, and you didn't care about value, I'd be betting the Dodgers and Astros as, a, as the World Series matchup all day. They're just built to win, unfortunately. And yes, they could get knocked off at any point in time, but they're built to win. They're built to score. They're built to win. All right. We'll be back soon. A little more NFL projections. We'll be getting closer to week one at that point. Certainly be talking about some of these final week one rosters in terms of how it's broken down positionally. I'll have Scott run plenty of numbers on that. And we'll bring back Keith Smith, of course, as well this week. Talk a little bit more about the NBA. Some of those rookie extensions are about to hit. He did a great piece on the entire 2018 first, first round and the likeliness of each player getting a rookie contract extension, whether it's a small one, whether it's a max one, you know, starting with DeAndre Ayton, who's certainly due for a max contract extension here soon, all the way down to a couple of guys who are no longer in the league anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, but Keith did great work. We'll make sure we give him some justice and let him sort of spill some, uh, some guts on some of those contract negotiations as well. My thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track for 40% off. Get yourself on that website in that app. It's great content every single day. You will learn something every day. You'll be up to date on your team every single day. It is definitely worth a couple of dollars for the entire season for the entire year. And of course, balancedbridge.com. future guarantees, lock it in, get yourself security for your client's contract future. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trade Podcast. 